Nick Gray, Drake Hills, episode six. Welcome. Six? Yes, episode six. six. Don't get fooled Are you sure? by the bon- don't get fooled by the bonus episode if you haven't checked that out. By the way, Kobe Jones had joined us ahead of the Austin FC match on Plugged In, the Nashville Soccer Podcast, to talk about Nashville and Austin as MLS expansion teams gone right. So yes, Nick, this is episode six of Plugged In. Yes, Nashville FC, one of three MLS teams that have remained unbeaten: Orlando City and the powerful Seattle Sounders. Uh, without Jordan Morris, probably one of the biggest surprises, not to say that they were going to tank, but the fact that Raul Reed Diaz is putting this team on his back. Alex Roldan has come in to be a really decent wingback. Obviously, Christian Roldan doing his thing in the midfield. The team is good. Brad Smith. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm just saying Raul Reed Diaz was my uh, MLS MVP pick to start the year. Well, let's get back focused. Yes, Raul Reed Diaz has done his thing. But Nashville SC, they also beat Austin. Thing. They, they have also done their thing. It, it was very gritty and not pretty in the first few games of the season. But, you know, going into week seven against Atlanta United at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, they are unbeaten. Nick, this episode, we're talking about one question. And we're going to answer this question. And that is, is Nashville SC a true rival of Atlanta United is the quote-unquote soccer rivalry for real? Well, that's, that's, that is a good question. And a question that probably, well, it's no, but even, even more of a question, even a little deeper into that is, should it even be considered as a rivalry? Just because you have two teams that are in the Southeast doesn't make them a rival. It shouldn't make them a rival. There should be no, like it should become natural. When Charlotte's MLS franchise becomes a thing and becomes a thing, you know, I don't think I'm sure that there will be some idea that maybe, hey, Charlotte and Atlanta, they have a natural rivalry dating back to when, you know, it's the Panthers and the Falcons in the NFL in the same division and they're only three hours apart. But I don't think that's going to be something that's, that you just assume. It just naturally has to be a rivalry. And I don't think that we're there yet with Nashville SC and Atlanta United. You know, they've, they played one game in MLS and – or they played more than one game, right? Yeah, they played, obviously, the first game of the season last year. Let's take it back to yeah. the top of the 2020, right? Yes, we know the first true match in the USL Joseph years. Martinez injury. Yes, yes, we know. Yes, we know about, you know, obviously what happened in the USL years and in, in US Open Cup and some of the other competitions, obviously going against Atlanta United too. Yeah, sounds great. But let's talk yeah. MLS, right? Let's talk MLS. Yeah. So, obviously, season opener, Joseph Martinez blows out his knee. But Atlanta United still beat Nashville. So, that's 1-0 to Atlanta. Then, of course, P.T. Martinez takes advantage of two very uh, embarrassing and, and, and probably early mistakes for Nashville SC. Uh, they beat Nashville 2-0 in Atlanta during the restart. So it's two is nil. And then obviously Nashville gets its first win against Atlanta 4-2 uh, in September. But by then Atlanta was already a farce of a team. And Frank DeBoer was very much in a, in a shambles state in running that team. But still, Nashville has come together. Nashville is not what it was last year. That is obvious. But what I'm talking about, and this is what I asked Alistair Johnston and Gary Smith today during the, the press conference, 
right? We're recording on a Thursday before the match. And, excuse me, recording on a Thursday. Obviously, the match is Saturday. So, I asked, Gary, is what sets them apart? Because it's clear that Atlanta has, you know, had its slip up in 2020. But it seems like there's still an effort to become a rival. This is not without Nashville making the effort to become a rival. They obviously want to be a rival by Atlanta, but he tells us why, and so did Alistair. And what he says is, look, there's a respect up front that comes with seeing a side that has won MLS Cup, that has won U.S. Open Cup. Obviously, you don't want to, you know, you can add Campionis Cup in there if you want, but the main two are there, and the main two are clear, and they've, obviously sold a player to go play in the Premier League. They have a league MVP in Joseph Martinez. Obviously, Peter Martinez is no longer there, but Ezekiel Barco is still trying to find his footing and is one of the last few from that original bunch. So the respect is there. And Alistair Johnson says, look, yeah, we already have this form of competitiveness. Like, we want to be there. We want to be a Southern rival. We want to make sure that, yeah, like, these two teams are not going to be the best of friends by his own words. But the reality is we see them as this, this team at an elite level that we one day want to be at. And so I'm like, okay, you know, I can, I can, I can feel that. And I can agree with that. Considering that everything surrounding Atlanta, not just on the field, but the fact that they have had 40,000 fans in a pandemic 2021 season that they have, what top five best players in the league and Joseph Martinez at full health. They have the culture, which is it, it, it covers not just your, your mainstream MLS fan, but it goes into black culture. It goes into Latin culture. They've got, you know, Nashville celebrities. I mean, it's not Nashville. They got Atlanta celebrities who are invested in the team, you know, rap artists, music artists, entertainment, other athletes from other teams in Atlanta. They got the swagger. There's a swagger that Atlanta has that Nashville does not have. Okay. And so they're at a different level. So I agree with you, Nick, that these two teams are not rivals. No, it is yet to come, but is it good that Nashville SC is trying to get there? And would it be better for MLS for these two teams to be rivals? Yes. And that's why all the stakeholders and all the, the broadcast rights holders are going to call it a soccer rivalry. They're going to call it an MLS rivalry. Fox and ESPN are going to do its best to amplify the message of MLS. I'm about to open up probably I'm probably about to open up a can of words here. But when you think about what they want to do on the field, that makes a lot of sense that they feel like they can be competitive with that with that club. And, you know, one team made the playoffs last year and, and the other yeah, that was my lead. So, that was my lead for the story of the day. But oh, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to take you take take it from you there. But you're gonna have that. And I would think that um, you know, they're gonna be compared, they're gonna be fighting for some of the same spots this year, certainly, um, with their competitiveness of both sides. I think Atlanta's still trying to figure out its attack, but it seems to at least be much more organized out the back this year than last last, at least to start the season. So I'm a, I, I can understand that part of things. Now, look at what the, you know, compare what in two years, what's going to be like. You're going to have Nashville SC and a, a, their own stadium, which is going to be different from Atlanta. 
Yep. It's not going to be able to have 50 plus thousand. It's still going to be a great atmosphere. Almost, you know, I'm not denying that. Um, it's still going to be a great, great atmosphere, but it's not going to be an atmosphere that can be compared really to when Mercedes Benz is filled up for a big game for Atlanta United. Now it can be just as fanatical and wild for those guys, but it's not going to be that spectacle. So if you're trying to to fight them, at, you know, trying to compare yourselves to them at, at, in those kinds of ways, of that spectacle sort of sense, and the fact that outside of, you know, I guess Seattle and Portland are close to, in terms of being able to grab the attention of the city, but Atlanta has definitely grabbed, Atlanta grabbed the attention of, Atlanta United grabbed the attention of the city almost right out the gate. Yeah. And that is especially, it's only seemed to grow, grow with the fact that they've been so successful out of the first four or five seasons of their existence. So that's going to be a part of that thing. I just don't think that, I think at a certain point, it's not going to be, and really even now, it's not going to be a fair comparison to say that this club's going to be as, you know, that they're going to be, two similar clubs and therefore rivals. What I think though is that this is going to have to be a on-field based rivalry and that could be a fun one, but we're going to need a little bit more than, than pandemic shortened four or two games, um, pan, you know, pandemic shortened seasons having, you know, a two, two goal loss, and a two goal win. There's not a lot of, you know, memorable moments in that. There's not a lot of, you know, angst that comes out of that. So, this is, I guess, the start of seeing whether or not these these two teams can build that uh, that camaraderie. I guess is, for lack of a better term, to uh, kind of create that rivalry on the field. Well, I gotta say, I know I said that this would not be a rivalry, and this is not a rivalry as it is right now. It can be, but it can be, and you know what would spring forth an actual rivalry. Forth? What's that? A, a playoff meeting, a round what? one, a round one MLS Cup playoff meeting. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that it's going to happen or that the two teams are good enough to, let's say, earn a three seed in the East, because I don't think either of these teams are better than Orlando, better than New England. I don't even think that they're, I mean, if you take a look at, you know, yeah, New England. I think they're going to be a supporter shield type team, right? I think they're yeah. going to be a supporter shield type team. I'm not quite sure about New York city FC NYCFC is a team that could very well be third in the East if it gets its act together. But if there were to be a team that were to hit a seed that's third, it would be Nashville. I don't think Atlanta's quite there yet. So if Nashville can keep its form consistent then you very well may see that. I just don't think it's 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 likely, but it is possible. I think between all those guys that you all those teams that you talked about, like New England's going to be who it is. It's going to be consistent. It's not going to make a ton Still, of mistakes. Well, Philadelphia could very much get back up there as well. Phil, Philadelphia has the potential to get itself settled down, settled out, and figure out what it its best version is. And Nashville SC is going to be another team. We've seen it now for five weeks. I think we have we, – this is 
you know, last Sunday's match against Miami is the fifth straight week in which they've um, had the uh, their expected goals allowed um, under point oh, nine. No, that's cringeworthy tactics, man. Cringeworthy, not the expected goals. Well, they also haven't given, a, uh, given up a goal. And and how many minutes is it? Uh, that's not of my concern and not in uh, my interest. I will say, but Joe Willis, Joe Willis is obviously tied for clean sheets at the moment. But I will back to my original point. Of all those teams you talked about, I think Atlanta has the the, the most to gain to its ceiling. Um, they have the most to figure out and the, and the highest. You know, they had the most to gain by figuring out who they their their best version is. And I don't think they're close to that yet. And I don't think that any Certainly of their not. players are in good enough form to feel like they can get close to it yet. And I do think that when it comes down to it, and this is one of my things, you know, preseason and, and nothing that I've seen this year so far has, has made me feel any worse about the fact that I think Atlanta has a real good opportunity to be in a top four team in the East. Well, I will say that obviously Sosa and Alan Franco back there in the three, four, three that they're playing Atlanta is to your point, still trying to figure things out, but I would actually say that their ceiling is not as high as you think, because even if those two, you know, figure things out in the back three, obviously you've got Heinemann, you've got George Bello, who, who know Atlanta United and know the, the pedigree and really the identity of the club. So they get it. But I'm actually curious to know, like, is Mikey Lopez going to, to be someone who can actually give a surplus or give a, give a surge to Joseph Martinez, who seems to be very lonely up top in what looks as more like a 3-4-2-1 as opposed to a 3-4-3. I know that gets into the technicalities, but they just look like two attacking midfielders. They don't look like wingers to me. Um, So, yeah, I mean, will they score a ton of goals by Joseph Martinez's feet? I don't know about anyone else. As for Nashville, I think it's interesting because C.J. Sepong has decided to come in and yes, he didn't score against Austin in the one nil win. Randall did, but CJ has been on a crescendo ever since the four four two was implemented. So for Nashville, I think you got a lot of pieces that are starting to catch fire. CJ being one of them, I think Dax has been spectacular. Anibal has had some okay games, but he's actually been quite strong otherwise. My biggest fear for Nashville right now, my biggest concern are their fullbacks. As much as people want to talk about Jandre Cadiz and talk about, you know, and, and me included on some occasions, but it's almost like we're waiting for him to, to do his best. We don't know when that's going to be, and he's also a lone player that is a DP. So that brings in another conversation. But the more consistent parts of the team are the fullbacks and with the service that they're going to bring. How can Alistair be the Alistair that he was against Toronto in, in, in round one of the MLS Cup playoffs last year? Can he be that of, shall we say, the, the Montreal game? Um, some games who he's actually had some pretty strong performances in. But I saw early on against Austin, he was like struggling to get crosses in and whatnot. But I know that – you know, if he finds that form that he's had previously and they have the Dan Lovitz of the Cincinnati game and shall we say the Miami game, some a little bit, not so much actually. Uh, I think Austin, 
Offensively, Dan was pretty solid. Defensively, I'm 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 concerned. So it's like Dan Lovett's defense, Alistair offense concerns for me as far as Nashville and their their ceiling for this year. But but between Ezekiel Barco and Eric Torres, you don't think that there's not 20 goals to be had outside. Well, Barco of- Barco hasn't had the 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 type of impact that Pete Martinez and and Miguel Amiron and, and Joseph Martinez. Uh the way that those guys have had proper impacts on the club. Ezekiel Barco has had spurts where he's like, whoa, okay, big technical guy can can take you off the dribble. He can he can make set up plays for others. He can set up Joseph. He can play with the link up. He can make runs in behind. He has the talent, but it just doesn't seem like his performance is consistent. Well uh, between him and Eric Torres, I think that the potential is still there for Atlanta. I'm going well, Eric Torres, Eric, Eric Kubo not Torres. A ton could, there, not Kubo. a ton that you can convince me differently. Sorry to tell you. Well, I, look, I'm obviously more confident in Joseph Martinez because he's proven. Oh, sure. But, oh, yeah, that's definitely right. But, I, you know, I, 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 I still hold a, uh, a, uh, a little bit of stock in the Ezekiel Barco. Um, well, so no, nah, but Marcelino Moreno, who is a, is a guy that we haven't really talked about and is, is obviously new, um, is a DP for, for Atlanta. If, if you were to take a look at this Atlanta side, Emerson Hinman again, Emerson. Yeah. But I've already said that. I already said that he was, he, he and George yeah. Bello, he and George Bello are proven. Like they, yeah. they're proper guys who are outside, you know, wide midfielders who have turned into wingbacks who have done well in this back three system that Atlanta's been playing for a while. Um, it's just different now that they're switching from a really heavy midfield with a 10 in the middle uh, and, and two up front to now playing a 3-4-3, which really looks like there's only one proper forward in the group. Uh, it looks like a 3-6-1 uh, sometimes. But, yeah, um, I will say, though, that if we take a look at this team, I'm, I'm curious to know, like, do you actually believe that this team, this Atlanta team, can match up with a proper Nashville side? If you, if you throw in the 4-4-2 and let's say, let's say you go again with Jonder and CJ, which I didn't really like against Austin, but, you know, whatever. Um, and you obviously you have the same lineup against Austin. Do you think that Atlanta has the pieces to match up with Nashville? With the back three, I, I, I'll be interested to see if they continue, if, if Nashville continues on with the 4 4 2 against the back three. That'll be very interesting. I that, personally, that, I personally, that could think be that, interesting. I personally think that it's not, it's going to be, it's going to go back to the 4 2 3 1 against Atlanta with Hani back in for, with, with Hani back in to have, probably for more, Sapong. Yeah, for Sapong to have more superiority. Uh, in the midfield, uh, if you take a look at what Atlanta does, we've already talked about Heinemann. We've already talked about Bello. Um, and I know that I mentioned uh, Moreno and Eric Lopez. But if I'm looking at – oh, we can't forget about Brooks Lennon. But, look, Emerson Heinemann, he's back into, uh, you know, more of a – he looks like a more of an eight-row um, he and Ibarra are in the central midfield. 
if you throw Godoy, Dex, and Hani, I actually think Nashville would be willing to go toe-to-toe possession-wise and not let Atlanta try to dominate possession like they'd like to. And what that means is I think that throws Atlanta off their game when they ended up chasing. And before you know it, you start seeing a little bit more creativity with Hani and with Randall and with Jonder. But this being in Atlanta, how likely is that going to happen? I'm not going to say more than 50 percent. Uh, but I will say that a four-two-three-one, I think, actually fits this better. better. For you create for that you create the overloads and you create the superiority on the flanks. But I also think you overwhelm two relatively young central midfielders, and you force Lopez and Moreno to be more of a central guy or to help out. Um, because look, yeah, you talk about Sosa being in there, um, but Miles Robinson and Alan Franco are going to have to worry about. Leal and Lovitz. And then, of course, you're going to have Will, who's going to be running up and down against George Bellow and and uh, trying to trying to help out and, and press forward. I just think there's a lot of superiority in different positions, different spaces of the field. And so what that says to me is that Sapong is likely going to come out. And if not, I start to become worried about Jean de Cadiz staying after June 30th because – you know, if you're losing out to CJ Sapong in a four-two-three-one, that's that's probably not uh, optimism. There's not a lot of optimism for your your future, and it's not like all right. So I think another part of that is the fact that they're going on this two-week break after this. So there's no like, it's not a lot of auditions. You're not trying to hold on, to, yeah, you're not trying to hold on to minutes here. You're you're you're. This is the last the last time you're lacing up the the boots for two weeks. So this is kind of. You know, we're going to try to throw a lot. I, I imagine Nashville, I'll see if they do go 4-2-3-1, we'll try to throw a lot at this game. Um, what do you mean by that? I think because I think there, you can't go into this game thinking there's not going to be goals to be had. Yeah, Even I think if, it's a different scenario. I think it's a different scenario yeah. than what they did against RSL. And I also think oh, the game, I certainly the, game hope so. the game doesn't play for that because yeah, Atlanta are no, already no. a they're already a a shall we say a um what's the word I'm looking for, Nick Gray? A genuine. They're a genuine attacking side. They're not gonna are, try are to you, are, so you're not try so to you're flex saying Real Salt Lake is not a genuine. Yeah, they were capping. Side? They were capping. <laughs> Big cap. Rubio Rubin is the only one. I was I was disappointed in in Krylock. I was disappointed uh, in Rusnak. That's enough of that game. Yeah, that's enough of that game. But I mean, it's just how they decided to play, as opposed to Atlanta, where obviously they're trying to feed Joseph the ball. They're trying to give him chances. So what that means is, if you're throwing if you're throwing out Brooks Lennon and George Bellow up, and you're making Emerson Hyman and Ibarra try to basically be, you know, two sixes or, or glorified defenders, um, I think you're going to have a lot of fun if you're Nashville. If you can allow – if you can see Alistair Johnston and Dan Lovins to be the greatest show on turf. Oh, I, I think more of it what – I, what I was trying to say is, in terms of throwing it at them, I guess, is with that 4-2-3-1 is to produce some sort of count, you know – Relying upon the counterattack attack and maybe I don't know. Do you would you say that Sapong or Cadiz would be better atop that if they're trying to look to be more on the counter? 
Oh, certainly Cadiz, uh, because he, again, I, I say this, I sound like a broken record, Nick Gray. The guy, his entire game is surrounded by chasing balls down on the counter and isolating defenders one-on-one and bullying them off him and scoring. Like, that, his, that's his entire game. You play the ball down the, the wide channel. You let Leal and Mukhtar run into the middle, and you allow Cadiz to go chase down a ball, beat a defender, whether it's Miles Robinson, whether it's Sosa, whether it's, you know, because he usually ends up on the left-hand side. Whichever way he's attacking, he usually ends up on the left-hand side, uh, which is, you know, if he's on the left-hand side, he's going to want to cut in, and he's going to dribble past you. If he's on the right-hand side, he's going to cross. That's what we saw against Austin. He's not going to want to take you right when he's on the right. And he's not going to try to dribble past you going left. So he basically, <laughs> basically, you know what he's going to do, but you need the space. You need to give him space. And you need to give him an attacking opportunity on the counter, which I think that goes in right in and, and meshes with what you're going to see in this game, if Nashville can spark a counter, CJ is more of a run of play type guy. He's more of a set piece type guy. Um, you know, if, I, if I've got a set piece from 35, 40 yards out, I'm going to aim for CJ. Or if I've got a, if Alistair or Lovitz are out wide and they're setting up a cross, you aim for CJ. So two different types of styles, two different types of dangers, same type of result. I would hope, uh, which is goals. I hope for goals, any, man. Any chance we see Don Baji on the right wing? No. Well done. I think Muil and, and Leal have locked up the winger positions. Keep seeing Ronda Leal on the right side. I, I personally, I love, I love the inverted, I love the inverted uh, winger setup that Gary Smith has. We starting Leal on the left. Uh, or excuse me, starting Leal on the right, and he's putting Wheel on the left, uh, and then you you give Leal the freedom to roam. I love that because that just opens the can for more creativity, more jogo bonito. Okay, Nick Gray, what's well, your prediction? Atlanta Atlanta is not in the best form right now, but I also don't see. I don't know. <sighs> It's so tough to get results in Atlanta, even if they're not in their best form. You know, they, under the context of the, la- of the game last season that they played in Atlanta, um, they weren't in the best form. They still, there was still a real struggle also, to get points out of that. There were also a struggling mistake uh, in the, on the second goal, excuse me, on the yeah. first goal. The first goal was a big mistake. The second goal was a lost possession, and Pitti Martinez pretty much uh, gives one a go for, and and there you go, two nil on a fast break. Yeah, it's, it's just uh, it's just tough to uh, tough to beat them there. Yeah. And if they're gonna like, I think it's going to happen. If Atlanta's gonna have the ball for close to sixty percent of the time, I just think that there's going to be an, a, a couple of big opportunities for them to eventually get one in. So I'll go one one. Ooh, same as the, me. Uh, the uh, score, the, the the undefeated, the undefeated run still continues, but. And I think anytime you get you can get a point in Atlanta, that's a good thing. Also, 
if you get three points in Atlanta, now we start talking about compensating for the draws that you had at home. Now that would be something different and that would be something good that we'd see. But the way that Nashville has, you know, the way that they played on the road against Real Salt Lake. And obviously that was a game that asked different questions. If it actually, you know, I'm presuming that game actually had questions to ask. Um, the questions would have been different. And um, I think that this game is important for, for Atlanta to, to get, I think Atlanta has to be in the mode that it has to get points every time they're at home. And I think that's what is going to result in a one, one draw. It should be a fun game though. I'm actually very excited to see it. Yeah. I'm very excited. Uh, Atlanta did get a whooping at home in the CONCACAF Champions League against Philly, but aside from that, they haven't really played much at home. I think they've only played, they've only played twice at home so far. So we can't really talk much about the fact that they haven't lost at home yet in MLS. So if Nashville do win, I think that's very bad for Atlanta because, you know, you're, you're, I think your, your strength, your fortress at home is, is taking a beating and it's probably lesser off. Um, and it, to your point, if Nashville get a road result, a road win, man, turn up, turn up Memorial Day. Heading into heading into a two week break, I don't know if much more momentum than you can have than that. Yeah, very true. Coming into the international break, uh, for you listeners, if you don't know, the Fever International Break begins uh, early next week. As many of these teams uh, in Concacaf are getting ready for Gold Cup, and of course in Europe, you've got the Euros uh, and so many different com- and, and also Copa America as well that you've got to think about. So a lot of international competition coming up. Randall Leal is in the Costa Rica side for the Gold Cup, and we shall see. Uh, it's not looking like Walker Zimmerman will be in the Gold Cup roster, but that does not rule him out for some World Cup qualifiers, obviously, later this year and going into next year. So international window coming up. Nashville does not play after this match until Juneteenth. One, one final point. This is the first of three matches between these two teams this year. Now, if you want to start thinking about a rivalry, have a tense one nothing or 2-1 uh, match on Saturday with a late winner or something to that effect that Nashville wins. Then we can start talking about having some – putting some grease to the wheel, so to speak, on this rivalry. But that could – that you know, uh, that'll be something I'll, I'll be watching. Oh, episode six, it is finished. We are out of here. Nick Gray, Drake Hills. Thank you so much for listening. Drake Hills, where are you going to be on Saturday? Oh, yes. For those who don't know, if you are in Atlanta, holla at your boy, okay? Your boy is going to be at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I'm going to watch this matchup live. First, I have done since the season opener in February. Different temperatures, different location, different culture, different vibes. Second road game for you yes. ever, right? Ever. Covering go. Nashville SC, that is. Covering Nashville SC, yeah. And I think this is going to be uh, the best one yet, considering that Atlanta has has proven that it can put in 40,000 fans uh, during the pandemic, which I love. I'll be there, vaxxed and ready to go. I'll let your boy subscribe to the Tennessean. Subscribe to this podcast. Rate and review it. Plugged in. National Soccer Podcast Episode 6 is in the books. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.